0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is on the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's June the 16th, 2022, a Thursday. We're having quite a musical and perhaps a nostalgic week. At the beginning of the week, I talked to the a very prominent music executive. He runs a series of uh, UK-based uh, labels. Uh, Nabil Ayers on his new book. Uh, it's an autobiography of his life, My Life in the Sunshine, Searching for My Father and Discovering My Family. It's a book in many ways about music, about remembering the past. His father is Royez. He has a curious relationship with him. And in my conversation with Nabil, which I really enjoyed. We talked about the 1990s. Um, I referred to Chuck Klosterman's book, The 90s. It's a weird period, the, the period before the storm in a way, the period before the, the real internet revolution, the period before Facebook and Google and everything else that's changed the world. Uh, we're going to go back to the 1990s today uh, with my guest, uh, Ewan Spencer. Uh, He's a prominent UK-based photographer and filmmaker. He's based in Brighton. He's talking to me from Brighton. He has a a lovely new book out uh, called uh, While You Were Sleeping, 1998 to 2000. And it's a book of photographs of his memories of uh, the music world back in 1998. And as I said, I'm thrilled that Ewan is joining us from Brighton. Ewan, is there an element of nostalgia about this book? Are you... Are you uh, yeah. looking back? I mean, the, the, the book, the, the photographs, and we'll get to them, are anything but nostalgic. They're certainly not sentimental. But is there a, a degree of sentimentality about measuring the period between 98 and 2000?
1: Yeah, I think there is. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I loathe to, um, to consider it nostalgic, and I think you've uh, caveated that it pro- possibly isn't, and uh, sentimentality separating the two is probably quite shrewd um but of course yeah i mean you know it, it's in the past isn't it and it was uh it was an exciting time and i guess what i was trying to capture was uh excitement and energy um of a time i think the reason the time was exciting because it does predate, doesn't it um
0: everything that we're sort of engrossed in right now and yeah, it seems in a weird way, it seems I mean it's it's not that long ago. It's it's twenty years ago. But well it's like a lifetime in many ways, doesn't it?
1: It it really does. So they're all shot on analog, you know, uh negative. As, as that was the only thing available at the time. And I mean I still shoot on the same camera with the same sort of flash guns, but I mean that's beside the point. Um I don't want to get too technical, but it was an era before, um, I hate to say this, but it was an era before the internet. It was an era before, I guess, we were just consumed by a digital sort of age. So um, people came out, they congregated, and they had fun together, and they communicated and shared their thoughts perhaps a bit more. And they did this um, on the dance floor or around the dance floor. and my motivation at that time was very much to sort of capture a subcultural context um, around the UK but in particular London Um, and that encapsulated the sartorial, the political and the hedonistic probably more than anything and uh, the Brits are really good at that, we're very good at um, grace under pressure and having a good time yeah funny yeah trip.
0: and uh, sort of in an odd way, perhaps celebrating decline. You talked about the energy of of the experience. The photographs in the book are amazing. Um, Thank you. I'm showing some on the screen now everyone needs to get the book. It's a beautiful book, really magnificently produced Thank book you. Uh, while you were sleeping. That energy was remarkable. Was it unusual, do you think? I mean, no, there's something about that period. I mean, it was when you were coming to a, a coming of age. I mean, had you been around, I don't know, in the 70s, the birth of punk, or in the 60s, or even in the 50s, do you think you would have found the same energy? Yeah, I do. I mean these
1: these pictures in
0: a way are semi autobiographical. Anything you, I think
1: I believe anything you do as a as a creative, a filmmaker, um, writing literature, is is partially semi autobiographical. And these pictures represent my experiences growing up um, in particular in the north of England in the early 80s or well, well, throughout the 80s and then the 90s. Whereabouts
0: well. in northern England? I'm from Newcastle upon Tyne in the northeast. So, which um, is very different from London or certainly from Brighton. It was very different. And I, I moved
1: away for that reason, I think, to sort of, you know, I was vicariously sort of experiencing... Things like the Mod Revival and 1970s London, the Clash and the Jam, Secret Affair, all these kinds of rock and roll bands, and the idea of perhaps soul music as well being kind of consumed. We were v- really, really into soul music and that kind of idea, and the idea of a soul boy. All these things are very niche. And that was our kind of purpose, I guess, as young men and women in the Northeast at that time. And I wa- I couldn't wait to really leave. I don't think, and get down to the southeast of England, and, and uh, do the whole sort of uh, Dick Whittington thing. And um, yeah, it was. Um, it was a good. No, not, move, not right?
0: all, my, all, all our viewers, you and will be familiar with the Dick Whittington thing. What is that? The English <laughs> will know it, but the Americans probably won't.
1: Well, the idea of sort of packing up your belongings in a, a knapsack, uh, yeah, and,
0: slinging it over your shoulders, and slinging it over your shoulder, and
1: traveling to a fairer land, you know. And uh, of course it brought its own complications, but it was, it, it sort of, you know, my my testosterone was
0: ready for you it. You never fancied going overseas? You felt that going from Newcastle yeah. to Brighton was enough of a journey? Via, via Philadelphia. So I went to Philadelphia in the early nineties to collect uh, rare
1: soul music. So pick up rare soul records. And that was my sort of thing.
0: That's what I was into. Um, and what about the photography I mean you are best known as a as a photographer this yeah. is a book of photographs of enormous yeah. vitality and energy of physicality yeah. um do you think of yourself as a as as a physical photographer or are all photographers physical
1: a physical photographer okay so, in in terms that I would manifest as a sort of I am just well, a in the sense
0: that your as I said your your photographs in this book really do capture remarkable energy, a physicality. Uh, I did an interview yesterday actually with a Swedish photographer, uh, feminist writer, and novelist, and. She takes photos of the snow in the north of Sweden, um, so she focuses on vivid color contrast. But she's less focused on energy, I think, than you. Thank, thanks for clarifying. Yeah, that
1: uh, Andrew, that's, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm. Def- this is this is a, a sort of physical manifestation of myself, definitely. So I spent years behaving in this way. So but when I came to photograph it for magazines in the the late 1980s and early 2000s in particular magazines style based magazines like uh, Sleaze Nation and The Face and ID um for me it was just my currency it was something that i understood it was something that i'd explored myself physically uh since my sort of mid teens if you like i'd been going to clubs and discos uh i'd been sort of chasing down sort of subcultural moments if you like uh from soul and funk and house music etc then northern soul which is something very sort of niche and specific but I was searching for something that was I guess brewing and about to happen and I was very interested in what that meant so you 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 mentioned things like punk earlier so it was moments like that so for me I was involved in the mod revival kind of scene in the very early to sort of mid 80s and then very much involved in soul and funk and then acid house and from that we were then interested in things like a kind of post-rock sort of brit pop i guess sort of moment in the 90s that then turned into other subcultural moments i just and i, I only started photographing in the late 1980, 1990s um because before, prior to that i was either studying at school or i was working um, from the age of 16 to about 21, 22 um, in Newcastle-Upon-Tyne. And going to art school then took me down south to the, the Dick Whittington moment. And that's where I then sort of explored a little bit more into the subcultures that I'd always sort of desired.
0: You, uh, so, you, you, you I, mentioned the, the, the music with... world. You've done a lot of work with a number of prominent British bands, Massive Attack, The Streets. Yeah the charlatans, how do you think the cultural moment that you captured between 1998 and 2000, how's it held up? Uh, Reading uh, Klosterman's The 90s, he spends a lot of the book focusing actually on the music scene uh, in in Seattle, as Nabil Ayers does, because he grew up in Seattle too. it doesn't seem to have aged that well. What do you think? The music scene from that period. Well, the music, the creative content. I mean, there was a great deal of energy but are you still listening to the music of massive attack and the streets and the charlatans?
1: Yeah, I would say that the streets is probably, I mean, believe it or not, uh, my son is 24 and my daughter's 16 and my children, uh, love his first record, you know, and their generation do their peers do, you know, that speaks, I think, uh, throughout generations about a British experience. Uh, maybe it's a sort of British working class experience, if you like, if you want to politicize it somewhat. Uh, I think it just ex- it, it talks about in the same way as the Who talked about that, perhaps in the 70s. It just talks about being British and young and it captures that moment. And the great thing about that we all know, the great thing about being young is that it's it, if it hasn't happened to you, it's going to happen to you and a lot of the motifs and experiences are probably gonna repeat uh, intergenerationally. So you're gonna have, you're gonna fall in and out of love and lust. Um, you're probably gonna get a smack in the mouth. Uh, you're gonna probably buy some ridiculous clothes or or find something that you really love and cherish and continue with that kind of passion, whether it be motor scooters or or rare soul regulars. Um, I think it just continues, it's cyclical. And I think the successes of something like The Streets record is that um it just keeps repeating like um yeah like like many things just keeps repeating
0: we did a show you're in brighton and you live in brighton did a show with william boyd the english novelist he's older than you he has a new book out new novel called trio which is set in the 1960s in brighton wow um it's quite a party town, isn't it, Brighton? It's a remarkable place. I mean, not everyone watching or listening to this will know much about Brighton. Describe what it's like and why you have chosen to live there.
1: I mean, yeah, I kind of, I've sort of found my home in a, way, in a way, because, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm cursed with arrested development, perhaps, and you know, my my children sort of laugh at my sort of delinquency still. Um, not to say I'm particularly hedonistic anymore, but we still have fun. Um, Brighton has a long history of excess and hedonism it was perhaps built on that as somewhere for people from uh, the sort of states people of, of England if you like The Prince Regent came here and built a palace um, and that's what established Brighton of course the plebs were simply fishing off the beach but the upper classes, the establish, the establishment as it were came here for hedonistic reasons and they did that over 250 300 years ago and this city has always had um an underbelly of um subversiveness and irreverence and we're in strange times at the moment where that seems to have been a bit commodified somewhat and obviously money is king etc late capitalism blah 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 but it's still a it's still a very you know fun city and people come here all year round now for a good time,
0: and that's kind of what it's about, really. It's, it's funny you mentioned the upper classes. You're the second Spencer I've had on the show this year. The first one is very different from you, Charles Spencer, oh, right. brother drop. of Lady Diana, the uncle of the future King of England. Uh, yes. Very nice man, but very upper class. <laughs> You suggest, though, that the upper classes knew how to party too. So there was, I've always thought, as someone who grew up in England, that there are lots of interesting, I don't know what you would call them, synergies, coincidences, connections, relationships between the upper class in England and the lower class, and the middle class are kind of out the picture. Do you think there's... Yeah, I, I
1: couldn't agree more. Um, I think that the thing, one of the wonderful things about the 1990s, for instance is what which was a very hedonistic time for myself and my peers uh, in a way it was very similar we call it like you know it was our 1960s we still refer to it in that way i was with some friends at the weekend we had a little trip away and we were laughing about the idea of how that was our 1960s and one of the things about that was the convergence of people and we the, the barriers in a way sort of dropped because it was just about coming together for a good time as it were so in a way the socio political context was just sort of put away with in the same way as it was in the 1960s and i found myself on dance floors or after parties with um you know blue blood you know and i was at art school with people that had that kind of heritage and for me that was that was exciting it was quite sexy actually uh, because I, I you know I, I wasn't from that sort of experience
0: you're not related to 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 lady day well I'm, I must be somewhere called Spence
1: but no, not in my history, not you know I'm from the northeast of England and I'm certainly not from that stock. yeah but you know it takes all kinds to make the world go around okay.
0: wait um, I came across an interesting piece uh, very different from your book. Uh, I'm gonna try and get the author actually on it's called Stanford's War on Social life. It's a book a nostalgic book about what life was like on Stanford University campus in the 1990s. The argument in the piece is that it's all been bureaucratized. It's been done away with. People don't have fun anymore on American campuses. Are you seeing the same on the music scene? I mean, one of the striking things about your book of photographs is people are really having fun. They're they're really enjoying themselves. Do you think people enjoy themselves as much today uh, mm -hmm. in our internet, social networked age?
1: I mean, I know this is a subject of yours, Andrew, um, and I'm I'm very interested in it, too, because obviously it has had a huge impact on what I photograph and what, where my interests lie. Subcultural moments and moments like you see in this book, they'll always persist and they'll always grow and we'll see them kind of happen, but I don't think they're going to flourish in the same sort of ways they did historically. Uh, the reasons for that is that it's probably a more perceived idea of enjoyment or or a subcultural exciting kind of growing kind of embryonic moment in terms of style and posture and linguistics, even social linguistics, all those things really counted for something. And I think now we're perhaps seeing, as I said, a sort of perceived idea of that, a perceived manifestation of it. It's still happening. It's not growing at the same pace. It's growing very quickly. And it's probably then expanding itself. A lot quicker and a lot sooner and so it's for someone in my situation you have to be quite quick off the mark to capture those moments or you have to root around and dig a bit harder to find them they are happening and you know I'd never give up on the kind of idea of youth explosion and energy and what that counts for especially in the UK and um, it's always going to persist but uh, it just happens in a very different way if you go out now Um, your friends, your peers, uh, people around you that you don't even know will perhaps be filming and publishing what's going on in that moment immediately. And that takes away uh, perhaps an element of the the covert experience of of hedonism, of exciting times, of having fun, of seeing something kind of grow. So are you
0: saying you in the real hedonism, real hedonism can only be and I excuse the pun here, enjoyed, if it isn't photographed, at least immediately and put up on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be... Uh, it'll happen for sure, and it is happening. I, I, I still go out and make photographs in some places, but it's not happening with the same, perhaps, um, regularity, and it's not happening... Um, and it's not happening, with, yeah, in the same way it's just not it's not going to happen in the same way
0: as you're as a you're a professional photographer i went to your website there were attractive advertisements it seems to me to men's underwear how hard is it <laughs> these days to be a a professional photographer i know that the the trade the commercial trade of being a photographer is probably even more than musicians has been undermined by the digital revolution it's a tough business isn't it to make money I mean, I wouldn't say it's been undermined by the, the the
1: the digital revolution. Perhaps I think what's actually happened is it's probably enhanced it. I mean, you know, it it it, it worries me to to it it nerves me to say, but I, I am relatively successful in my field, and you know, but I, I you're unusual. People.
0: There aren't that many successful photoc- commercial. Yeah, boards. but there's
1: not there's not many successful. um, I don't know, bankers, I, you know, if you work hard at it and like anything else, and I'm not going to give you the whole schlep, but it's kind of, you know, (laughs) I I work very hard at what I do and I work, I I treat it in a sort of business way. But a lot of people, you and um, a lot of kids want to be, yeah, 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 go on, sorry. Is that we are perhaps a bit more visually literate now uh, en masse than we were perhaps 20 years ago. So my work, especially the work that is historical, like this book and previous books, are very popular with um, young people uh, because perhaps they have grown up in a digital age where they're proliferated by imagery. They understand imagery in a slightly different way. They are perhaps more visually literate and they understand it a bit better than maybe I did. You know, I had a few magazines to look at, style magazines when I was growing up and album covers that uh, took my sort of attention you know but now we're just it's everywhere it's perhaps it's perhaps made my job a little bit easier because i can make a picture you know i'm I'm trained and i I study hard at it sorry for the interruption but i wanted to make that point no
0: no no i apologize i'm 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 often i'm the interrupter and i deserve to be spanked for it um (laughs) a lot of kids though you and you'll talk to many kids friends of my children, friends, probably your kids, they all want to grow up to be photographers. Many are called, few yeah. are chosen. Why did you make it and so many others haven't? I mean, people can enjoy photography, but it's a really tough business to make a living in.
1: It was a different time to begin with. That's a sort of fairly trite observation, I would admit. Um, I had a point of view and I, was, I followed something that I loved and I was really interested in. Um, and that was people, people in social situations, and it was something I knew and loved. So I followed my nose and I just, when I, as soon as I started photographing people, even when I was first starting photographing people out in the street that I knew and I'd, I'd worked with, etc. in the cent- city centre of Newcastle, um, you won't see them in this, this book here, but this is the beginnings of what I was doing. You know, I brought those pictures back and the person that was uh, my college lecturer in Newcastle was like, you know, who are these people? Why are you photographing? This is quite important. So for me, it wasn't important. It was just something that I had experienced. It was something that I lived. And I kind of quite quickly understood that if I photograph what I love and what I'm passionate about um, I'll, I'll I'll gain success. You know, I'll gain my own sort of personal successes in producing pictures that matter to me, that I, that I like, and I adore. And as soon as I realized that I could follow that, um, it sort of just, I guess it just snowballed and I just kind of kept on that route really. And there's been a few twists and turns along the way, but really I've just stuck to what I really love doing and my,
0: my, the subject matter that I've always really, um, felt enticed by. What about the technology of photography, um, Ewan? It's changed dramatically in the last 20 years. Some professional photographers even use their iPhones. We have um, the flourishing, if that's the right word, of digital photography. Then Mm -hmm. there's a lot of photographers who have gone back to analog. What is your feeling about the technology? Is it important or do you simply need to focus on the action and, as you say, have an attitude and it doesn't really matter what kind of camera you use?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I keep up to date with, you know, technology and what's coming out from the camera I use to the flash systems we use to, you know, the, the what's called a digital technician, the DT, who's working with me on set when we're shooting things like that Burberry campaign that you showed earlier, like men's underwear. So, you know, we this picture here. So this is a picture for Burberry, uh, British fashion house so as long as you know i don't really think too much about the technical aspect of things and and things come and go they always have and obviously technology is constantly sort of being rolled out and at, a, at whatever pace it is and for my own personal work and for a lot of the clients i shoot uh, for um, fashion brands fashion houses etc um, i will use analog photography that for, that is exactly the same as um, exactly the same system as you see in the pictures in the book so i'll still just keep using that system for you know the things that are prestigious and and you know things that matter to me my personal work i have the same setup and i might change it and switch it around a tiny bit there's little changes here and there but just to kind of enhance it perhaps and make it as, as best as it can be but really i kind of stick to my guns and the sort of technology follows me <laughs> <laughs> that's the best that's the best way around isn't it you know I, yeah, think and it
0: was... I assume that most of the photos for this particular book while we were sleeping yeah. i mean you were a student back then and they were taken with a fairly basic camera and we were taken with a, a wonderful camera that i still own which is a japanese kind of medium format
1: rangefinder and that probably just is goldy gook to a lot of people but um it, it has a wonderful lens it's something you hold up to your eye and i have variations on that camera that i still use i still have this same camera a lot of the camera the camera that was i use two different cameras here one of them i still shoot a lot of work on today and i use the same flash guns and the same kind of power and cabling and yeah the whole sort of shebang so um does that answer your question maybe i missed yeah i
0: mean it's a it's a nerdy question but i'm sure there are some people watching um you and who are photographers and into the gear what about yeah. the, the book side of it um, I did a, sh- a show last month with Arthur grace a prominent American photojournalist uh, mm-hmm. he has a new book out actually by your publisher called communism's a cold war album beautiful album of his memories or his mm-hmm. his photographs of communism um, in Eastern Europe your book like Graces is a memory of a particular kind of period a yeah. foreign world in many ways 1998 to 2000 in southern mm. England in brighton in the, the music clubs of london yeah. um, what is the value of a book i mean clearly you, you you it's a good way i guess it's a good vehicle to get your name out for people to see your work who might not see it it's not a way to make a living um, what, what yeah. is it, what is it you like about books of photography I call you the author of while you were sleeping but probably it'd be better to call you the I don't know the host or the photographer you don't write in it you show your work no i don't really write now i'm not a writer of
1: course um it is perhaps the same um method as a a writer you know i'm telling a story really i'm telling something that you know i guess myself and the publisher hope is relevant and people desire and want to see this um you know my work has been shown in magazines uh, in galleries etc for you know over 20 years now and i think this is my sixth book um photo book so i've gained an audience over the years and it, this book has been very well received by that audience and it also the appeal for something like this is that it also reaches you know, further afield, this is more of an international title with uh, a a wider publisher with a wider distribution. So it's, you know, it's also something that will, you know, satisfy um, people who are into this kind of photography, this sort of life,
0: it will hopefully satisfy that. um, Yeah, I'm guessing there'll be two kinds of audience for this. On the one hand, people who lived through it, like yourself. for whom this will be deeply meaningful in a personal way. And then there'll be those younger people, perhaps, or people from overseas who missed it and will be fascinated with just seeing something that they didn't experience so close up with your work. It's a wonderful uh, book. Uh, Congratulations um, uh, very much. uh, You went on on it. Uh, You may not be a lord, but you're a photographic (laughs) lord. Um, what else are you reading? You mentioned you like to tell stories. Are there books? Do you like reading books?
1: I do. I, I have a lot of... I have, a, I have shelves full of books here.
0: Wow. Well, tell yeah. me one or two that you would advise people to read that you've particularly enjoyed over the last few weeks.
1: Oh, the last few weeks. Um, Four months.
0: What are your favourite books? What do you enjoy? What do you go back to?
1: I like a lot of American literature, which is a bit of a cliché. Um, I've just finished Ragtime. Um, but I think... Is that Doctoro.
0: Yeah, um and doctorate. i just finished
1: um i just completed um carp dm but it's not Cop dm it says seize the day which is yeah. a classic yeah i've just finished seize the day um i chewed through uh a book about 17th century london last year for quite a long time but i yeah i read all the time i'm constantly reading i like hitchens for instance i love Pouring Through Hitchens. Christopher,
0: his, that's Christopher Hitchens. I beg
1: your pardon, Christopher Hitchens, yeah. Yes. Um, such a great orator and a great mind of our times. He's still so relevant. Um, I read articles online, but yeah, I'm constantly reading books, pictures in books. I like to go to bookshops and spend time in bookshops. I love Don't Books in London.
0: Yeah, Don't uh, Books on Margaret High Street. Maybe, maybe, maybe you, uh, you and your next book can be a book of photographs of readers of bookstores we need to remember those and remind ourselves of their value
1: uh, it's a, it, it, yeah i'm constantly telling my children yeah encouraging my children to read because it's uh, it it matters on many different levels i agree